What up, y'all? It's Jesse here, a.k.a. Jesse Prada, coming back at you with another episode on the Christ Convo podcast, where we inspire you to live the best way you can for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, I hope this episode blesses you. Let's get into it, y'all. What up, y'all? I'm back with another episode, and I am here with a good friend of mine. I consider her a sister. You know what I'm saying? Um, This is my good friend, Brianna. I'm just going to briefly talk about her, and then I'm going to let her talk about herself. We met at A&T because I went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Shout out to 1891-1601 East Market Street, Curtis Hall, 117. Uh Uh-huh. That's where I met the Lord. Um, We met my freshman year. And we've been cool ever since the friendship built. Um, It first started off as like seeing each other and passing on campus and just saying hello. And we was both saved. So we had that Mm -hmm. common ground. And then um, it just built into like us having, you know, prayer meetings at her house with another person named Kennedy. She's been on here before. Um, Shout out to Kennedy. And um, we also are a part of a leadership team for a college ministry known as Remnant Gathering. Remnant dot gathering follows on instagram for the next you know what i'm saying we we be going forth and so yeah that's what i'll say about her and i'm gonna allow her to introduce herself and speak more into who she is what's up everybody again my name is brianna long thank you so much jesse for inviting me onto your podcast mm-hmm. i really appreciate it uh-huh. um for those of you who do not know me i am a second year mba student at the illustrious North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, Aggie Pride. Um, I am also a member of Remnant Gathering, as Jesse was saying, Mm -hmm. and am actively working to build my business, Exceptional Empire. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow. Can we just silently clap for the illustrious, you know what I'm saying, accomplishments? Um, Because I'm not going back to school, but you're better than me. You might. No. It all depends on what the Lord mm, has for your life. Let's not do that. This ain't mm. about me. This is about you. I understand. Uh-huh. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're here to talk about her testimony. God has brought her from a mighty, oh, a mighty long way. God has brought her from a mighty long way, and we're here to talk about what the Lord has done. Because the Bible says, <laughs> let the redeemed of the Lord say, say so, so, whom he hath redeemed. Jesus. See, they don't they don't quote that part. The Bible says, whom he Ooh. hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. That means the, en- the enemy had a hand right. on you, but the Lord redeemed you from the I could preach right now. Yes, God. That's good to me, Jesse. Yes, Lord. He had a grip of he had a grip on me, but the Lord redeemed me from mm-hmm. the hand of the enemy. Yeah, 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 Praise yeah. Praise the Lord. So let's talk about your history with God. So did you grow up in church? Did you not grow up in church? What was your background if you did? Mm-hmm. Let's go into that. Yeah. So I grew up in church all my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, going to church Wednesdays, Fridays, mm-hmm. Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Very much so involved. My grandmother um, raised me up in church a lot, and so did my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, My aunties would take me to church and things like that. And so church was pretty much my entire life for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very active with the praise and worship team, choir, 
kitchen staff would serve food and clean up the, the dining room, decorate the dining room, stuff like that. I grew up Pentecost, Pentecost the Holiness. So My God. a lot of hand clapping, foot stumping, shouting, tongues, tongues, mm-hmm. laying out, stuff like that. And so the lady folks out in your church. Oh, yeah, oh. definitely. So wow. that was a lot of my upbringing. Wow. I grew up Baptist. We ain't catch all that. I've been to a couple of Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you get filled? So I got, well, I was, first day I got saved when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the altar with my friends, and there was this deacon, or this elder, his name was Elder <laughs> Fenderson. Oh, I thought. And um, he, he prayed over me, and he was like, say, save me, Lord, save me, Lord, save me, Lord. And so I asked the Lord to save me. He had me repeat, you know, the, pray, the salvation prayer and everything mm-hmm. like that, and I got saved. And I remember I went home. And my older cousin asked me if I got saved and I started crying. I just felt Jesus all over me. Mm. Um, but then I got filled when I was 13 years old. With the evidence. With the evidence of speaking in tongues. Walk us through that. At a youth convention. How'd that happen? So I, that whole service was just powerful. I remember it vividly. Um, we had this guest preacher come in. His name was Bishop Johnny Bryce. And you know them names. I know boy. them names. I know them names. <laughs> He came in and he was preaching. I don't remember what he was preaching about, but I do remember my my cousin was shouting and all I ever did back then was cry. I never shouted. I just cried. When I felt Jesus, I would just sit on a on the pew and just cry. Mm-hmm. Or I might stand up and jump or just wave my hands and yeah. stuff like that. I was scared to shout because I felt like I couldn't really get my, you know, pick him up and put him down mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. And so I remember my cousin was shouting and she was shouting for a long time. And I was just sitting there like, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want to feel you like that. Right. And so towards the end, it was it literally happened at the end of service. He got up and he did the benediction. And as he was praying, I just started weeping. I mean, crying. And next thing I know, all types of ministers and elders and pastors came over there to me and started praying over me. And they was like, speak. And I heard the tongues in my head before I you know, started mm-hmm. speaking, but I was scared because I'm like, is this me or is like this yeah. God? Like, I don't know what this is. I've never encountered or experienced this before. Uh-huh. And so as, you know, I, you know, stepped out on faith, I just started speaking and the tongues just started rolling out. Mm. And I remember my friends was standing at the front of the church staring at me like I was crazy because I'm we're 13 years old. Like this had never happened before it happened to me. And so I was like, wow. And I remember afterwards, everybody went to the back of the well, to the dining room to get like you know plates after service food and i just still felt jesus and i went home and i took some blessed oil i started anointing the house the doors the mm. the windows wow. the beds everything and just praying over the house this is when you were 13 when i was 13 yeah jesus mm-hmm. wow so guys so seventh grade oh, okay yeah go ahead it was just seventh grade seventh grade okay i wanted to go into this because brianna has a powerful testimony um now I'm going to give like a brief synopsis of what I know. I don't know everything. I actually didn't finish watching all the videos on your Instagram. Um, I watched the first and the second one. Um, I know we've talked about it, though, but like there's probably going to be details that I probably didn't know, mm-hmm. which is good because I love discovery, especially when it's in the moment. Um, so Brianna has a powerful testimony about sexual perversion and the Lord has done a mighty work in her life. And. I wanted to, what I do know is this, I wanted to, because I know about these encounters, she told me about them, but I wanted to bring up the fact that she was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and dealing with all of this 
while she was um, yes, Lord. in that place. And I feel like I wanted to do that because um, what was happening to her doesn't discount her history with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people sometimes when these kind of things happen to them while they are in church, while they are filled, while they are encountering the power of God, they sometimes negate it because it's like, mm, look at what's happening in my life. Yeah. Look at what is going on with me around right now. But you can see that truly in the midst of all of that, all of the details that you're about to tell us in a moment regarding your testimony, while all of that was happening, God was still with you. My God. God was still filling you with the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Was stirring you to pray. You know what I mean? So with your story, how did it start? How how were you introduced to um sexual perversion at a young age so um i got introduced to sexual perversion quite early on um when i was four years old i started um getting molested by my female cousins they were older than me Mm -hmm. and didn't really know like what was happening or much of what was going on but i just knew that it was something that i never experienced before Um, And it continued for quite a few years, all the way up until I was nine years old. But in between that time, um, I believe when I was in first grade, I, well, before then, um, I remember I would go to school. It was happening so often that I thought it was normal. And so I would go to school and some of my friends would ask me, you know, who my boyfriend was and things like that. And I would tell them that um, it would be my cousins. So they gave me a male name to call them. And so your cousin, yeah, my cousins gave me the male name to call them. And mm-hmm. so when I would go to school, they would ask me who my boyfriend was. And so I would tell them it was that oh, them, wow. that male name. Oh, wow. And I remember when I was in first grade, we had an assembly and they were teaching us about sexual harassment, molestation and assault. And they said, if this is happening to any of you, you know, go and tell someone. My cousins were all in elementary school with me. So we went to the same school. They were in the same exact assembly as me. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the guidance counselor and I told her about what was going on because that was the first time that I realized that what was happening to me was actually wrong. Mm. And so went to the guidance counselor, told her about everything that was going on. And then after that, she directed me to social services because they had them on standby just in case there were any kids that, you know, confessed about the things that were happening to them Mm -hmm. and social services called home. And when I got home, I remember I was staying with my grandparents at the time. And so when I got home, my mom was there And she came outside and she started yelling at me and fussing at me and asking me, what did I go to school and tell, you know, those people, which was the guidance counselor and social services. And Mm -hmm. I told her what happened. My cousins didn't live too far from my grandparents home. And so she brought me down to their house and they were standing outside on the porch with their mom calling me all types of liars and things like that. And so I ended up just saying that I was lying about everything. And, you know, unfortunately, my mom believed them, um, and so did my grandmother. And they kept sending me back over to the house to, you know, get oh molested and stuff. Yeah. I mean. What was that like? I mean, at that age, you know, I didn't really think. Well, I, for one, I was hurt yeah. that I was not believed. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely caused, um, we can get into that later on, but that definitely probably started the rejection the issue with rejection that I had mm-hmm. because in that moment I definitely felt rejected. Yeah. Um, but I definitely would say that 
after that, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this obviously isn't bad because nobody yeah, believes nobody me. Nobody believes, and yeah. you keep sitting me over here, so Dang. whatever. And so, you know, I kept going over there. And then some way, somehow, I got introduced to pornography between the age of eight and nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was a porn addict. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of pornographic movies and things like that around the house. Um and even like on TV. Yeah. And so that's where I first got introduced to those movies and things like that. And I knew that what I was seeing on those shows and movies is what was happening to me in my real life. And so I became intrigued by that. And so it made me want to to watch more. So that's kind of how perversion got introduced. So real quick, this me. was all happening at what age range? From the time I was four to eight. To eight, four to eight. Yes. So through that, you were going to going to church and all that stuff. Yes. Okay. And you, so you were going to church, having these. You got saved at what age? Eight years old. At eight. Mm-hmm. So at the latest time when you got in between the years of four to eight, when you got introduced to pornography, that's when you got saved. Yes. Okay. Were there any like thoughts like of you like at church and like encountering God and then like. You were like, dang, like when I go home, like these kind of things are taking place in my home environment. Did that ever like cross your mind or anything like that? Yes. I think when I got older, mm-hmm. I started having more of an understanding mm-hmm. of what was going on because around the time I got in third grade, this was happening so frequently in my life that, uh-huh. you know, I would go to school and there would be other girls, at sc- young girls at school telling me that the same thing was happening to them. And so we would talk about those things and sometimes I would like we would kiss and stuff like that that because uh-huh. of the familiarity that we yeah. had with that type of stuff it's it's crazy but like that's the type of stuff that happens yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah like we don't really know what we're doing but all we all we're doing is like what's being done at home and so yeah, yeah. so like you feel like because you went to school and other girls were talking about their experience mm-hmm. it sort of strengthened the narrative that this is okay Yes. Because it's like, oh, other people, you know what I'm saying, that I go to school with are leaving and leaving their homes, coming and meeting me at school. They're saying, oh, like such and such is, you know, doing this to me. And it's like, oh, okay, Like, so you believe that fueled that, you know, acceptance of it. Wow. So did it stop at eight? No. Okay. So what happened after eight? So it continued with my cousins until I was probably about nine years old. Um, And I stopped just, they moved actually. I think they moved to another state and so it stopped. The Lord. Yeah, it stopped altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I said, those instances at school and um, that brought about um, a sense of identity confusion Uh because I started having you know, same sex attraction towards Mm -hmm. women. I never acted on it, but that was something that was obviously there because of what I grew up in. Uh Um, Also because, you know, I was watching porn, you know, and a lot of times in those, in in porn, I would, you know, watch lesbian porn and things like Mm -hmm. that because it was fueling something that I had already been introduced to. And so um, I got to an age where I realized that what I was doing was wrong. I always, a part of me always knew that what was going on was wrong. Something got a there hole was something in down against side. Something in your belly. Working on oh, it. Hot, hot. 
Wakanda. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a part of me always knew that it was wrong. And so I remember, um, I remember being in sixth grade, actually. And I was praying and I was asking God to remove that attraction that I had away from women because I knew that like, you know, I grew up in a church where, you know, it was holiness or hell. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't want to go to hell. This was my reason for, you know, I I knew. Yeah. So I knew that we talked about, you know, homosexuality Mm -hmm. being abomination to God. Yeah. And so I didn't want to go to hell. And so I was praying (laughs) and I was asking God to. get me through that and he did like he literally delivered me from that but that pornography addiction and stuff like that was still there it transitioned from the you know the lesbian to watching other things uh-huh. and so perversion was still there but it was just manifesting in a different in way in a different way i want to really just go back quickly you said in the beginning when you were getting molested and your friends would ask you who your boyfriend was yeah. at school your cousin gave themselves a male name. Yes. But they weren't male. Nope. Okay. I remember the name to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, I just caught on to that. I'm like, wait, you were like, you were referring to them as a male, but like, don't, that, it was a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. It was just something that I caught on to. Okay. So you, from, so from nine, pornography addiction. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you said at sixth grade, you prayed, asked the Lord to take the um, same sex attraction away. You say he took it away. Mm-hmm. and that, But the lust and the flaming desire for, you know, sexual interaction mm-hmm. was still there. Yes. What was that like for you then? Because mm-hmm. obviously we know that when it comes to molestation, honestly, we could go into this now. We can... And hopefully you hear what I'm saying. Can you explain the difference in your life when you were dealing with molestation? And then when the molestation ended, what was it like dealing with the pornography? Mm-hmm. Would you say you were addicted? So I was going through the molestation and pornography at the same time. Oh, snap. Okay. Yeah. So um, elementary school, I was watching porn. Um, got my own phone, got like. We had computers and laptops and things like that. And uh-huh. I knew how to finesse my way around that back then. Uh-huh. Um, and then in middle school, it was also a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had an attraction towards men. Like that never was never. I mean, that was always a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it was stronger, mm-hmm. a lot stronger after, you know, God was transitioning me from that desire that I had, you know, towards women and it just was 100% towards men. Mm-hmm. And so um, literally after I got filled in seventh grade, it just seemed like things just kind of skyrocketed, like perversion just kind of skyrocketed for me. Mm. Um, and I can go into that story, you know, a little bit later when we get into that. But mm-hmm. um, I would say that the pornography addiction was definitely still there. Okay, It just sh- kind of shifted, like I said, from the girl on girl to like, Mm-hmm. A whole lot of other things that kind of um, sparked a lot of interest that I probably should not have had at such an early age mm-hmm. or at all. Yeah. When did you come to the realization that what happened to you truly happened because mm-hmm. you were told that it was cap, right? Like, mm-hmm. so when you came to the, when you came to the realization that this 
actually happened. How did you process that? So um, I remember I was talking to my aunt. Um, shout out to her. She, I call her like my guardian angel. She's not my real aunt, but yeah. she's somebody that took me in at a very, very early age. Uh-huh. And she helped raise me. Um, and I told her about it, about what was going on in my family. And she, you know, believed me. And I think then mm. was like the moment where I was like, okay, like what actually is happening to me is real. And there's somebody out here that believes me and that is helping me, you know, walk through this. And so I think for the, like at that moment was like a moment where I realized like, okay, like this is wrong and yeah. you know, I need to be separating myself mm-hmm. from all of this. How did you initiate the separation? So I didn't really initiate it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they moved. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. I, um, yeah. So they just moved. They and moved and that was it. And it so after, when they, when they came back around though, yeah, it was never no, so they never Can't, tried it again? No, never. Okay. I've never had another encounter with them since then. How was it when you saw them after they moved? Oh, what? yeah. I had some some hard feelings um, towards them for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I barely wanted to speak to them. Yeah. Because of like all the memories that I had. Them. So it wasn't just one person. Oh, yeah. It was more than one person. Yes. Oh, snap. Mm-hmm. How many, if you don't mind sharing? Um four oh wow mm-hmm. okay continue i was um i just found out re- i mean i didn't know this but mm-hmm. i just also found out recently that i was molested by a male cousin as well but um, oh wow yeah so it was four people in total when you say recently like you mean like 2021 oh snap mm-hmm. so it like it had been happened like yeah, I didn't know. I didn't remember, no but, idea. you know, okay. he apologized to me yeah. and told me that, you know, that was something that occurred. Mm-hmm. So, but, but when you saw the other ones, you didn't know he did it. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So when you saw them, what, um, you said you didn't want to talk to them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Did you confront them? No, I've never had oh. a conversation with them about it. Oh. Now they've seen my, I'm pretty sure they've seen my testimony video that I posted uh-huh. on social media, but I've never had a conversation with them one-on-one. Yeah. That makes sense. Concerning everything. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like with seeing them like you handled it? Do you feel like you went about it the best way or do you feel like you um had some trouble processing that? I definitely had trouble processing it. Um, I had no problem talking about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, people would ask me. I would tell them like, yeah, I was molested. Mm-hmm. It was something that I had become numb to and insensitive, insensitive to. Like, mm. it was just something that happened. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I think I was a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. where I actually sat down and I thought about everything that happened to me, mm-hmm. and I was and I just weeped. Jesus. Because I'm like, how could someone do that do that to a four year old? I was only four, you know what I'm saying? And you were blood. I was I was, you know, it's my innocence was taken away from me. Yeah. At a very early age. And I remember I went into my aunt's room and I just cried. Yeah. And she just hugged me and just, you know, was talking to me and letting me know that it wasn't my fault. Because that was something that I just really felt like everything that happened to me. I felt dirty. I felt icky. And um I remember when I was a junior I was telling somebody my story. In high school? 
In high school, yes. Okay. I was telling somebody my story, these two young ladies my story, and um, they were young. They didn't really, you know, know much. And I was trying to, like, share it with them because of something that they had been going through. Uh-huh. And we got into a public setting with other people that was not in that conversation, and um, something came up. And one of them kind of like, you know, threw my trauma kind of back into my face mm. um, by bringing it up in front of people that I had not confided in about oh, that. Gosh. And so for the first time ever, it was like where I kind of got smacked in the face with what happened to me. And I kind of just had to like process everything. Mm-hmm. And like it was a lot of weight just just felt like a lot of weight just kind of like was thrown on me at once mm-hmm. and I would say that def- that definitely was yeah a moment where I kind of like had to process through everything. So there's two things that I've picked up already based off of what you said to me so far. Mm-hmm. You correct me if I'm wrong. First thing you said it though. First thing you said was rejection. Yes. Second thing is trust issues. Yes. Okay. So let's go into rejection first. How do you feel this entire situation affected you in regards to dealing with rejection it definitely affected the way my relationship with my mother and my grandmother because Mm -hmm. by them not believing me when I told them about it the first time it just really made me feel like I could not trust them anymore Uh and I didn't really want to come to them with other things because I felt like if I did they wouldn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And so I felt rejected by them. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely affected my affection towards them and things like that. Like I didn't even really felt feel like they loved me mm-hmm. for real because of that moment and other things as well. But um, that was just the start of the deterioration, deterioration of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you feel like, do you feel like the rejection trickled into your friendships? Definitely. How so? Um, well, I wouldn't say that rejection trickled into my friendships, mm-hmm. but I think what I experienced with friends, mm-hmm. um, especially like with my cousins, right? So like they were yeah. my friends. They were people yeah. that I played with, that I hung out with, that, that I built community with. Uh-huh. And then this stuff is happening, but when it's brought up, I'm a liar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think for that part, that was the start of, experiencing rejection within community yeah and so i um i started i had no problem building community after that but as things started happening it was building up on that foundation that was start um originally built from that moment Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so with your um so then would you say that trust issues and rejection kind of worked together it can, yes. Mm-hmm. I figured that. Um, in regards to your process, <laughs> you can fix the mic. Oh, <laughs> she dropped the mic. Okay, y'all. fidgeting and whatnot. Mm, uh-huh. Um, God, I forgot my question. In regards to my process. In regards to your process, um, you said that you were in a room. I don't know if you said you were at school or something like that, but you cried in front of your aunt when you found out everything that was done to you. Um, That sounds like your initiation of healing. Yes. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. So what did your process of healing look like for you after what you went through? Oh, child. 
it's still being worked out. Uh-huh. Um, but I definitely would say those moments where I was able to confront a lot of the issues and the traumas that I experienced as a child um, head on um, was definitely the initiation of my healing process. And then having somebody to confide in and talk to about it that understood me mm-hmm. and not feeling like I was so I had to be so closed off about it, about like you know, the emotions that I felt behind it. Because before, like I was telling you, I had no problem telling people that this is something that was ha- that happened to me, mm-hmm. but I never really shared how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually started sitting down and thinking about the reality of the thing where all of the emotions started to come up. And I do believe that God was, you know, using that to, to dig up, you know, a lot of the dirt um, that was there from those moments. Um, and then I will also say that, um, you know, just trusting and asking God to just, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, trust in him. Yes. Yeah, just trusting and asking God, um, because as, um, as time progresses, you know, I, I realize and I understand how that situation impacted me and affected me in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so as those moments come up, I continue to bring them to the Lord and just yeah. ask him to just help me to deal with those things and understanding that, again, it was not my fault. And I would say that one of the main things I forgot this, one of the main ways that I was able to get past this is by confessing that this happened to me publicly through my testimony. Mm. Um, before I posted that video, all the feelings Ooh. and the emotions and the shame and the, and the guilt and the hurt and all of that came up. Yeah. And I do believe that that was some, it was something that the enemy was trying to attack me with yeah. to not like put that video out there. Uh-huh. Um, but I dealt with a lot of emotions and mm. it, I kind of went through a whole healing process by, you mm. know, sharing my testimony publicly and having those conversations with my mother about how I felt and talking to her about how, you know, she didn't really apologize to me for not believing in me and having those conversations with my grandmother and other family members um, about what was going on. And um, I think understanding and knowing that like, it's not just me, like yeah. other people go through this stuff too. Yeah. Um, it's something that also helped me, you know. That's really heal. good because I was going to actually ask you earlier when you found out what happened to you and you came to the realization of it and how you said you were a kid, your innocence was taken from you. Were you ever mad at God? I think in those moments where mm-hmm. I thought about like what was actually happening to me, uh-huh. it was just like how could, you know, when you were reflecting on yeah, it. Yeah, reflecting. Uh-huh. How, you know, how could you allow someone so little, so innocent to be violated mm-hmm. like this? What carried you through in those moments? Because a lot of people, they deal with bitterness, mm-hmm. anger towards God. Mm-hmm. But. In order for you to, ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. In order, <laughs> yes, Lord. In order for you to, I'm sorry. In order, in order for you to not stay in that place of blaming Him, mm-hmm. you have to encounter something. Right. So, what do you feel like that was for you to say? Okay, God, this happened anyway, and I struggle to see how you would allow something so abusive something so degrading to happen to somebody when they are at a age where they are essentially defenseless yeah 
but I still trust you and I know you are who you said you are. Mm-hmm. What what was it? I didn't necessarily have that language mm-hmm. um, for my encounters back then. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I was very mad. I was very angry and very bitter with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that trickled into my relationship with God as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't say this earlier, but after I got filled with the Holy Ghost in seventh grade, I ran away from God. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I um, started hanging out with the wrong people, um, getting involved in the wrong things, partying and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I knew I was wrong. I mm-hmm. knew what I was doing was wrong, but I just didn't, I didn't want to live that life because yeah. like I said, I grew up in a holiness church. Uh-huh. And so in my head, I'm like, holiness looks like skirts down to your ankles. I can't be myself, my individual, well, unique, different self. And so in order for me to be who I want to be, I'm going to, go and rebel yeah and so um but for some reason though well i know what the reason is but you know i went from sitting in the front of church or in the middle of the church to sitting in the back with all the kids and stuff like that just being crazy and funny and stuff like that but Uh for some reason every time i would just go to the altar every time i did an altar call i would just go up there and stand my god and they would come up and say open up your mouth and you know tell god yes or you know praise God and stuff like that. And I wouldn't never open up my mouth. I would just go up and just stand there and just mm. cry sometimes. Mm. And, um, every, every time I did an altar call, I, it would be the same thing. And I remember one time this one lady came up, um, and she prayed for me and she started reading me for filth. I mean, read me left and right. Oh, talking like, about prophetically, like, prophetically oh, wow. talking about like my traumas and stuff like that. And my relationship with my parents and my grandmother. And I remember she told my grandma to come up. Ooh. And to hug me while I was at the altar. This was I mo- didn't like that too much, but she came up and, and she did it. So that that initiated, you know, some healing mm-hmm. in our relationship. Um, and I remember I was just weeping. My God. And so even after that, though, I still hadn't really um, fully surrendered. But yeah. that was my means of like understanding that even through all of that, God was still there. That I, I could yeah, still yeah. encounter him, that I could still feel him. And so... Every time I went to the altar, there was a he. It was almost like he was stripping a layer of hurt, a layer of guilt, and a layer of shame off of me. Every time I got prayed for, every time somebody laid hands on me, every time somebody poured oil over my head, and um, things like that, you know, God was really dealing with that. He was just cracking, you know, or the wall, yeah. bit by bit, piece yeah. by piece, chipping away at it until one day I remember I was sitting in service and they were doing a testimony service and I just felt some, I felt some fire in my stomach. Oh, and in your belly, I felt some fire in my belly and I couldn't contain it. And I knew that, um, God was telling me to get up and say something. And I was like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to. Cause mind you, I had built this habit of sitting in the back of the church, you know, Mm -hmm. playing around and doing all types of stuff. And I'm like, how are they going to look at me? Like I'm crazy. Yeah. But I got up anyway. And I just told the church, I was like, I don't know what my testimony is, but I just want to be better. I just want to be a better person. I don't want to allow the same things that weighed me down before to weigh me down now and for my future. And I remember the um, one of the pastors called me up to the front to get prayer. And everybody just prayed for me and laid hands on me. And that initiated, you know, my process of, you know, building back up that relationship with God mm-hmm. and allowing him in to a lot of those hurt and broken places. Yeah. When did you fully return? 
So that's a very interesting story. Um, so mind you, I told you that that encounter I had with, you know, those girls my junior year where, where you know, I was face to face with what happened to me. Yeah. Um, that spring, actually, I ended up having a dream. And in this dream, I was laying on this hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Well, not hospital bed. It was this bed. And my family was all around me. It was almost like I was dying. And everybody was crying and all of this other stuff. And they called in these like doctors or these Chinese people or something to pray over <laughs> me. And as they prayed over me, it was almost like I transcended into another realm. And in this realm, I was in a hospital and I could, there was a TV screen on the wall and I could see my family through that TV screen, but I was trying to get to them and I couldn't. And, um, I was watching the, the show flash at the time. And so oh, one thing snap. flash could do was would be to run so fast that he could run through walls and run through screens and things like that. And so yeah. but I couldn't do it because I didn't have those superpowers. <laughs> and so but you had real power. I had real power. Holy, Ghost, Holy power. Ghost power. But it still won't let me get through that screen. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I eventually, you know, started walking around the hospital looking for some help. And there was this young man there and he didn't say anything to me, but he just went like this. He took his finger kind of like, Signal gave me the signal yeah. to follow him mm-hmm. and we cut some corners and he ended up going into this room and I was like I'm not going where he's going because I don't know what, what room he's going into I'm gonna go my own way mm. which is something that I usually do in my life anyway I like to do my own thing and go my own way uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so I um found this nurse and I asked the nurse I said where is America and she said America's right this way let me show you so we walk into this office right and now mind you before this dream I had been running from God you know our relationship was not the best. And so she um, brought me to this office and in the office was this, this, this front desk with America written in big letters on it. And beside the office front desk was this meeting room. And inside the meeting room was women walking in and out of the room at this. And there was um, this long table where some executives were sitting at. Mm-hmm. And there was a young lady in the middle of the table. And I'm like, that girl looks so familiar. I don't know who she is, but I've seen her somewhere. And, um, my dream ended. And so not, I think it was two days after I had that dream. Um, we were having a youth convention and the theme of the youth convention was called, um, you were born to be exceptional, but I was a part of the praise and worship team of, of that youth convention. So we were having praise and worship practice for it. And I remember our, on our way there, it was a Saturday. I spoke to my cousin about it and I said, I had this dream, you know, and I'm not really sure what it means, but could you help me get an interpretation for it? Mm-hmm. And she said that, um, God is saying that you're getting ready to transcend into another realm, that you're getting ready to level up, you know, in the spirit from in that dream. Spirit. My, he was getting rid of like the old, the, all the old stuff. Like you remember that part where I said I was, you know, on the bed dying. Yeah. I was getting rid of all of that old skin. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And transcending me into a new place. And so went to the praise and worship practice, started singing. Um, put a praise on it by Tasha Cobb. Oh, I was leading that song. And I was God. talking about how there's a miracle in this room with my name on it. There's a breakthrough in this room and it's here for me. Ah. There's a healing in this room and it's got my name on it. And as I was singing that song, you know, I started crying and I was weeping. And before I knew it, I was on the floor repenting um, about everything, you know, that I had done um, for running away, mm. telling God I was sorry, that I was tired, wow. I was weeping. I hadn't spoken in tongues in four years, so Jesus. I'm 17 at this time. My last time speaking in tongues was when I was 13. Wow. And so in that moment, you know, I got filled again, and um, 
all the tongues just started coming back out again and i love it yeah and i remember the advisors over the praise and worship practice they told everybody else that was there stop y'all don't you know don't look at her y'all need to be going going for god yourself and so they started you know encountering god for themselves and i was up when i say i was up in tongues i was i couldn't stop it was uncontrollable snot was coming out Mm. and since then my life has never been the same i was decided to, ooh, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, um, and to live my life for Him completely. Now things happen, yeah. you know, but I knew for, I knew after that I was never going to turn back and you stayed go with back him. to my old ways. You stayed yeah. with Him, no more running, no more. Yeah, my God, that is powerful. Yeah, four years without speaking in tongues and you just get filled again randomly yeah. on the spot. Mm-hmm. Nobody laid hands on you. He never left me. Who? Nobody lay hands on me. I just sung a song. Whew. And it broke free. He never left Got you. Got delivered. That is powerful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And he received you with open arms. Open arms. Didn't hold nothing against you. Mm-mm. This is like. Before then, you know, I had a dream where I was running. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot happened in the dream. But God visited, visited me in my dream. And he asked me why I was running. And yeah. I told him, you know, I don't know. He started laughing at me. And I knew like what that laugh was. Like I knew it was like you're running for no reason. Like you don't even know why you're running. You're just doing. You're it. just doing it because you're scared for what? Because you don't want to look like everybody in your church. You don't want to be different. You don't want to surrender. You know, I was so afraid of being set apart. I was so afraid of you know not being able to fit in. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to be mediocre. I tried being normal. Mm-hmm. I tried fitting in, but fitting in and wanting to look like everybody else was far worse than dealing with the suffering of following Jesus, you know? And so when I realized that I gave my life to him completely, gave your life. Yeah. That is powerful. I think it's just so amazing to, and I mean, we hear countless testimonies. I was actually thinking about this like earlier and, I think something that I heard um, in another podcast is now, trust me, in no way am I shunning the supernatural. I will never, ever shun like miracles, healing, deliverance, prophecy, words of knowledge or anything like that. But like there's there's um, there's this idea that has been spoken of in a podcast before. And it talks about like it's talking about like the proof, like the overwhelming evidence of the fact that Jesus is real and things of that nature. Right. This evidence is the fact that like a person literally is transformed in the way that they go about life, like beyond a leg growing out, beyond a demon getting casted out, like only God can essentially take, you know, someone who was molested by their cousins, um, somebody who was addicted to porn and turn them into a mighty prophet of God. Not a prophet. (laughs) Like, and consecrated before the Lord, leading a ministry for college students, shifting a region with a group of friends. Like, this is powerful. And so, like, the, the, the the noticeable change in somebody's life like beyond just like the tangible dunamis power that we are, you know, we are told to demonstrate. It's the evidence 
of how the life just trickles. Yeah. Like how like how the change in one's life just trickles and extends to every single area of their life. And we're not perfect. We'll never be perfect. Right. But I think it just proves once again how sovereign the Lord is. Mm-hmm. So with your testimony, how was it difficult to release it? Yeah, it definitely was difficult. Um, like I said earlier in this podcast, before I released the first video, I remember I was thinking about all the backlash that I would receive mm-hmm. um, had I shared this testimony. And I was dealing with all forms of guilt and shame and and just disgust with myself um, with everything because I just kind of felt like a lot of stuff was my fault. And I remember I was almost having an anxiety attack and I got up and I went to my aunt's room and I um, woke her up. It was like two or three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I woke her up and I just was crying. I was like, can you pray for me? And she was like, what's going on? What's wrong? And I told her. And she was like, that's nothing but the enemy just trying to trick you out of, you know, sharing your story because he knows how many people this is going to set free. And so she started praying for me, started praying praying against anxiety, praying against shame, Mm. praying against guilt, you know, all of that stuff. And just praying that God gives me peace concerning the release of my testimony. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, okay, I had to call up people. I had to call up, you know guys that i had messed with and tell them and tell them like hey i'm getting ready to share oh snap this testimony and <laughs> some bold. of the stuff that we t- that we did is gonna be in it i had to talk to my mom and say hey i'm getting ready to share this testimony and i'm gonna talk about a lot of the stuff that happened throughout our my childhood that hurt me you weren't asking i wasn't asking you were just I, I knew what i knew what god i was being courteous i was doing them a favor you know i um <laughs> I know what God told me to do. My God. <laughs> I know what God told me to do. And so I wasn't going to let anybody stop me from doing that. Yeah. Um, it's giving. Also using wisdom, knowing what to share and what not to share. Of yeah, course, you know, yeah. I wasn't just throwing everything out everything, there for yeah. everybody to know. But um, I definitely had those conversations. Mm. And um, I just was like, OK, no matter what happens, I know that what I am doing is going to be not only for my good, but for the good of many. Mm. And so I said, OK. I'm willing to take the backlash. I'm willing to take the 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 ridicule or whatever that comes with this because I know that, you know, the benefit is far greater than anything, you know, I could have experienced otherwise. Powerful. Who I'll put it like this, was did you receive the amount of backlash that you thought you would? Absolutely not. What did you receive? A lot of people coming out to me in my family. Wow. And friends and random people saying this happened to me too, but I didn't have the guts to say it. Jesus. So you forged a path. Yes. Ah. And then it also made me dive deeper. Why is this happening to so many people within our so this is a generational thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's is why why did it happen to me? Why did it happen to, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins and all of this stuff and nobody ever said anything. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one saying it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that like, it brought up so many different questions. And so I started having those hard conversations within my family, yeah. trying to get to the bottom of things and, you know, discuss certain matters with certain people and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that it brought a sense of, of healing for a lot of people in my family because mm-hmm. of, you know, the boldness that I had to share my story. Yeah. Do you feel like now that, you shared it 
even outside of your testimony, do you see a lot of fruit from just your obedience to God in that manner? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think that it definitely built my endurance. Mm. Um, It strengthened me. If I was able to overcome all of the feelings and emotions that came with that, um, because there was nothing like I was, the enemy was just feeding me all types of lies. If I was able to overcome that, like I knew that I could overcome anything. And it also taught me that like everything is not what it seems or what you make it out to be. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of times when we do things, all of this fear can come up and we start assuming all this stuff that could possibly happen if we were to do it. And it could, it could, you know, stagnate us and almost, you know, kind of, yeah paralyze us into not doing things and um in that like in moments now that i have i'm like i can get past this because i've seen how god brought me through those previous moments where you know i felt like i couldn't but i did and the reaction wasn't what i thought it was gonna be Mm -hmm. my god so one of the we've spoken about this you said do you do you feel like this is why one of your strong burdens is for the family unit Yes. Yeah. Beyond the molestation, you yeah. know, I grew up without really having a father there. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother and my relationship was not the best. Um, I was raised by a village. I had multiple people, you know, raising me. Um, so I didn't really have much stability there. So I know what that's like. I know how that can impact and affect a child. Um, so my desire is to see stability and unity and love and peace and belonging within families and it's something that God has definitely burdened me with and I continuously pray to God for he gave me a powerful word you know for this year just he told me that you know in this year that a lot of families were going to be restored and I've been seeing it you know yeah month after month manifest yeah a lot lately even in my own family you know what I'm I'm saying I'm a witness to that as well yeah my mom has gone to therapy my father has gone to therapy um you know, the relationship that my mom has with my grandmother has is on the, you know, yeah. in the works of being restored and stuff like that. And so I've just really been able to see the full manifestations of God's sovereign authority and power um, within not only my family, but within my friend's family and yeah. people outside of that. Yeah, I can definitely second that as well, that there has been a lot of restoration in my personal family. Mm-hmm. I never had like a bad relationship with my father or my mother or like my grandmother um or my cousins or anything like that but mm-hmm. i'm seeing i'm seeing the love yeah i'm seeing the affection and you know god is really doing that um there was another question oh yeah here we go um you finally said i remember you said that when you were um when you were dealing with the numb you said you were dealing with numbness like mm-hmm. in regards to the molestation and then like you came to the realization of everything that happened and like you weeped and you cried and you hugged your aunt and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said you felt disgusting and dirty and stuff like that. And obviously we know that the enemy, he tries to get us to wear our past. Yes. And he wants it to latch hold onto us. When do you feel like you were finally able to just break free from the clothing of your past. Is there a specific situation that occurred? Or do you feel like it was just something that God did over time for you? I think it was just something that God did over time for me. Mm-hmm. He's still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still deal with thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that is being worked out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
And so I still deal with thoughts and memories and things like that, um, that he, I mean, that, you know, kind of remind me of my past and stuff like that. And sometimes the enemy tries to like, come on in and, you know, bring me back to that place. But I always kind of have to remind myself that I'm not there anymore, that I've been delivered, that I've been set free and that I don't have to own or accept those things that, you know, the enemy because a lot of times he tries to put this identity on you that yeah. you were never called or created to be and so um having that understanding um yeah i don't yeah. really allow I, those things to affect me anymore yeah. as much i appreciate your transparency mm-hmm. and i'm gonna say something about that because i can hear somebody and i don't think anybody's gonna listen to this podcast or this episode and have the nerve or the goal to say that but I hear somebody saying she's still dealing with it. So how is this a testimony? Mm-hmm. Because a test in, in the eyes of a lot of people, somebody would look at it and be like, well, you know, you're if, if you're still dealing with it, like and it comes up like in certain areas or in certain times or in certain increments. Mm-hmm. How is it a testimony? And I just want to say it's a testimony because you're not where you used to be. Ah. Glory! You move forward. <laughs> yeah. Huh? And so I think it goes Stronger. back to what you said. Oh, I'm yes, wiser. Yes, Lord. I'm better. Oh, much better. My God. When I look back, oh, oh, he's brought me through. Sha, the, old sa- the old saints used to say, I'm just glad to what be Marcus alive. What Marcus say? What? Never, Never would have Sing it. Sing it. <laughs> sing it. Oh, yeah. But Without no, I think Jesus. it goes back to what you said at that altar call, sis. Like, I just want to be better. Yeah. And the goal is not even to be perfect. Well, the Bible says be perfect as your but that means mature. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean flawless. Study the word, you know some uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. But um the goal is to look more like Jesus. And as long as you are pursuing the image of Christ more and more each day, you have the right to testify. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the more you pursue him, the more you look like him. The more you look like him, the less you look like yourself or your old mm-hmm. self, you know. And so if there's anybody that's listening that possibly had a similar testimony to you, what would you want them to hear from somebody who has overcame? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I definitely would want to say that hmm take your time okay <laughs> we are in no rush okay um i'm thinking give it to a god i'm so weak let the wisdom of god flow from her belly like a river Ay-ay-ay. i would want to say you know to be patient with yourself that's good, yeah. Brianna. <laughs> I would want to say be patient with yourself and show yourself um, grace as it relates to your healing process. Oh and don't gosh. feel like you have to rush Jesus. and get over and, and move past everything so quickly. Because a lot of times, you know, throughout that process, you know, I think sometimes when we try to rush through things, we could miss out on, you know, what God is trying to really teach us um, concerning our lives and concerning him. Um, 
throughout, you know, being patient um, throughout the process. Because for me, um, honestly, had I rushed through my process, I wouldn't have known God as, you know, my healer. I wouldn't have known God as my validator. I wouldn't have known God as my sustainer Mm. and my keeper because I seen how he kept me in some of those moments where I never thought that I would make it out of, but he kept me here. The moments where I wanted to commit suicide and I didn't think I was worth crap, you know, he, he validated me. He let me know that I was worthy, that I wasn't, you know, the dirty, guilty, shameful person that I thought I was because of all of that stuff that happened to me. And so I would definitely say be patient with yourself and give yourself and show yourself a lot of grace, you know, as it relates to your healing process. Because, you know, just because somebody might be able to get over it, you know, in two months doesn't mean that, like, that's going to be the same for you. And so, yeah. Yeah. I almost cried just now. So, one, the reason why is because that this is literally something that I'm walking through mm-hmm. right now. Something that the Lord has been dealing with me about is just how merciful he is. Mm-hmm. But also, um, comparison. Mm. So, when when you're because when you were talking i just had a question and i feel like the lord gave me the answer even in the moment why are people impatient with themselves like what 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 would be the cause of somebody not being patient with themselves comparison is definitely one of the causes of that yeah you know you look at everybody else's process and everybody else's journey yeah and what seems to you like it's overnight you know literally um may not even really be the case but because you feel like it's that you feel like the same thing should happen for you yep when that is definitely definitely not going to be the case because everybody has their own individual process that they have to walk through and um you know that next person's process might have been them having to go from point a to point d but your process might be you might have to go from point a to point z back to point b to point f you know what i'm saying like and you just have to kind of understand that like you know everybody's not the and you same. got to be okay you with gotta that be okay with that you have to be i feel like there there can be there's so much restoration in being satisfied in your race mm-hmm. in how you're supposed to walk mm-hmm. with god mm-hmm. because at the end of the day god wants to walk with you the way he wants to walk with you not the way he may want to walk with somebody else because there's only one you there's yeah. only one me so when we try to rush his processes and I think as well, like when you're when you try to rush through things, I used to do this a lot and sometimes I still struggle with it. Um, you just want to get it over with. Yeah. You want you it's, miss out. It's, it's like you want the results mm-hmm. without the process. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it works. You know, you don't get a nice meal without it cooking in the oven yeah. first. You don't get gold until it's purified. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to go the process. And so when we go through that process of healing and God starts to pick at certain things, yeah. it's very, very, very extremely uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yeah. Like 
extremely uncomfortable uncomfortable and i think the worst part about it well i'm not gonna say the worst part but the 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 very what's what's the word i want to use um the detail that stands out with these kind of processes is you can't leave Mm-mm. like let's say if i'm having a conversation with brianna you can delay it and she's making me very uncomfortable mm-hmm. i can leave i can choose to put on my yeezy slides and walk out this door you get what i'm saying with god that's not how it works he's omnipresent mm-hmm. so whether if you go in your car <laughs> whether if you go in your house hey. whether if you go to work whether hey. if you go to church hey you cannot dip yeah i said this to i said this on my podcast with chi chi you cannot G check the OG. Mm-mm. He like he's he will be found everywhere and he's not going to force you to he's not going to force you to talk. But he's so powerful to where his presence will remind you of the last thing that he dealt with you about. Right. So even if you don't. So, for example, like when you see somebody right, like who they are. Or who they are to you or what kind of things that you guys have been through will speak volume Mm -hmm. whether if they speak or not so if i look at brianna i see my sis i see my friend my good friend and i'm i'm gonna think naturally about all of the times that we had together Mm -hmm. as friends whether if you and i have a conversation or not Mm -hmm. whether if you and i interact or not if i see shout out to shout out to darren and valerie they are in the room with us we're just chilling hey y'all i love them so much but and it was Darren's birthday yesterday. Shout out to my boy. Shout out. Jordan year, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but yes, sir. For example, let's just, and this would actually happen to me. I, there would be times where I would see Darren on campus from a distance. Mm-hmm. This will preach. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> even close to him, but the, the level of intimacy that I have with him as a brother, the sight of him triggered a memory. Yeah. Of value, right? And of substance. All you need is a memory. It's the same thing with God. Go ahead. Say what you said. I said, all you need is a memory. All you need is a memory. So Mm -hmm. when you're down and out, you're in those rough places. Are you at You know, Jesse, you and I have had those moments where, you know, we've been in rough places and all we did was remember Mm. the goodness of the Lord, his mercy, the moments where we thought we wouldn't make it out and he brought us out. Yeah. And it helped bring us to a better place mentally. Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. And it's still doing it to this yeah. day. So I would also say as well, like, allow God to do the work. Mm-hmm. I feel like by God's grace, I've never been touched. I've never been molested. Mm-hmm. But there's things that have occurred in my life where it's caused me to put guards up yeah. in certain instances. Um, I think the 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 ability to receive healing is to be willing to be vulnerable you have to want it yeah like if one something that would happen i remember like my mom every time i would go play basketball i would fall and i get a cut on my knee my mom would go and apply that alcohol and it would mm-hmm. sting jesus and i had a choice i could and she never forced me to like I could sit there and, you know, be like, nah, I don't want to encounter the pain of this alcohol. The momentary pain. The momentary. Yeah. Temporary. Temporary. Pain. Um, I don't want to encounter the pain of this alcohol for my scar because I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to burn. 
And and the thing is, I wasn't going to do it mm-hmm. because I didn't want to. So she had to. But if I chose not to, the scar would have been infected. Yes. And it would have healed. And some of the or would have prolonged your healing process. Yeah, but some and but but what's powerful is there's a specific scar. I think I still have it actually. Um, I remember I was playing ball, and I skimmed literally my elbow to the white meat. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to a nurse, and um, she put like alcohol on it, and like I um. Like, it hurt really bad, and it took a while to heal. But the scar is still there. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's no pain. There's no, you know, there's no deforming in my elbow or anything like that. But it's not real. Like, this is not really that, but I look at it as a battle scar. Mm-hmm. Like, I went through that. I took the I took the pain. I took the healing. But my elbow and my arm is still able to operate and be mobile to the way it was designed. Yeah. And I think that's how it can work with our testimonies. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes we have battle scars. Sometimes we got things that we deal with, but it it shows how strong we are through the power of mm-hmm. God. You know what I'm saying? So we are at an hour and three minutes. My God. Went by really fast. I know I asked you if there was anything you wanted to say to the audience, but I always give my guests last words Mm -hmm. are there any last words from brianna long no not really i think you know this was an amazing 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 session um i hope that everyone you know my testimony blessed touched or helped someone that's listening um i pray that all of you who have gone through similar situations um find healing find peace in the midst of the storm and that you know you guys understand that you know payday is coming out the wow oh yeah <laughs> it's coming out the wow it's coming after a while everything that you've gone through you know payday is coming out the wow and so i love you all and i'll see you guys next time my god and before we end i just want to say the scripture of the day says, for I reckon my God, that the suffering, if you check your Bible app, well, this is not going to be uploaded today, but it is <laughs> November 1st. So maybe if you could look up the verse of the day mm-hmm. on your Bible app, the Bible says, yeah. it says, for I reckon, for that, I the, reckon that the suffering, the suffering of this present time of this present time are not worthy are not worthy to be compared to be compared to the eternal glory, to the eternal glory that shall that shall that shall be revealed be revealed my god <laughs> romans romans 8 verses 18 look it up look it up and be encouraged highlight it if you got to oh put a little note beside it yes sir Mm-hmm. You know, one thing in the church, folks say yes, sir, to women when they preach. True, that's true. That's the only time. That. That's the only time where you could call a woman a man and it won't wow. be an insult. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey. You, you you hear a woman start preaching with the power of God, you'd be like, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody gonna say nothing though. It's just it's just our culture. I never thought about that. That's yeah, I know, right? It's mm-hmm. crazy. You wow. only do it in the black church too. Don't do that in the white right. church. They look at you like crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, love y'all. Love y'all. Be, be encouraged. See yes. y'all in the next one. 
What up, y'all? I just want to say that I appreciate each and every person that decided to listen to this latest podcast episode. I hope you were blessed and I hope you enjoyed it. There is definitely more to come. If you have not followed me on Instagram, follow me at Jesse Prada at J-E-S-S-E-P-R-O-D-A. And I will see you all on the next episode. Peace.